Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts if you're listening across the Big Blue View radio network. All right, those of you who are watching on YouTube can see that, that I'm wearing a hat today. And, and I'm wearing a hat today because I don't have any hair and, and my, and my guest today is, is big blue views, Nick Filato, the man with the best hair on the internet. So, uh, so I just don't want you to see what's up on top of my head. Nick, how you doing? Well, thank you so much, Ed, for having me on the show <laughs> and for that beautiful compliment. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there, there, there was a time when I had hair. Believe it or not, there there was a time when I when I when I was in college, I didn't cut my hair until it reached my shoulders and started to flip in the back. But uh, but that was a long long time ago. <laughs> I was going to ask you, Ed, what year was that? But then I stopped myself. <laughs> if you must know, it was probably around 1980. Okay. <laughs> All right. It was probably around 1980, so uh, a long, long time ago. But Ain't but it wrong. did happen. Hey, you know it, it is what it is. Hey, I I didn't bring you on to uh, to talk about my hair or your hair or your beard or or grooming or any of that nonsense. So let's get into talking about the New York Giants. And we were talking a little bit off air. And let's be realistic. In my view. The Giants are one and two. There's been a lot of ugliness, and we'll get into some of the issues here. I did posts the other, I've done posts the last couple of days on the offense and the defensive sides of the ball. But let's be realistic. I think when the season started, it would have been natural to think that at this point in the year, the Giants would be one and two. So they're one and two. They're pretty much right where people thought they would be. It hasn't gotten, it hasn't happened the way we thought it might. But would you agree that we're pretty much right where we expected the New York Giants to be after three weeks? I felt like with the offseason the New York Giants had, Ed, in week one, it was imperative for them to win because the Giants have to find ways mm -hmm. to win divisional games. But that was absolutely. Humbling. Mm -hmm. A 40 nothing loss at home was a very humbling experience, and it somewhat reframed my expectations for the New York Giants heading into this season. But if we're going to talk about week three, because I expected the Giants to win week two, they did in dramatic fashion. They made it a little bit more interesting than they had to, but they got the dub at the end of the day. But week three, if you would have told me, even at the beginning of the season, when my expectations may have been a little bit higher, 
the Giants were going to enter San Francisco on a short week with no left side starters on the left side of their offensive line and Andrew Thomas and Ben Bredesen and no Saquon Barkley. I would say, yeah, that's going to be an obvious loss. Let's hope it's not as depressing as the week one loss to the Dallas Cowboys. And it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't feel like the giants really had a chance throughout most of the game, but they at least kept it. I don't know if competitive is the right word, but it wasn't a blowout. It wasn't an absolute embarrassment. It wasn't good, but all things considered, you're going up against one of the top defensive units with some of the best long defensive fronts in the national football league. When you have guys who are making their second start, you have these players John Michael Schmidt's rookie, Marcus McKethan, essentially a rookie. You got Josh Azudu playing left tackle. We know his primary position is going to be guard. Evan Neal still struggling. The Giants were in seven, eight-man protection so often throughout that game, yet San Francisco 49ers were still able to get pressure. The New York Giants were just outmatched. The San Francisco 49ers, even when the Giants are healthy, are a much better football team, and that's just the reality of the New York Giants right now. I do think you're right. I think that the disappointment in the first three three weeks the disappointment had to be the Dallas game I think we all as a staff we all picked the Giants to win maybe except for Jeremy and and I and I think I think maybe we should have we should have known better but I think we were all hopeful that Joe Shane talked a lot about the talent gap with the Eagles the Cowboys the Chiefs you know whoever you want to put in that tier and we were all hopeful that the Giants had gotten closer. And I don't think the Giants are 40 points worse than the Cowboys. That game sort of got away from the Giants and it just, it, it got ridiculous. But it showed that that there's still a big gap there. But, you know, but still one and two, I think is is pretty much where most people would have expected the Giants to, to be after three games. And I think that's fair. One and two, Monday night football, you have right ahead of you against a team that you're vying for a playoff spot right now with the wild card. So the division's more or less out of mind. I know the season's very early. The Cowboys, even though they just lost in week three to Arizona, still we can say they're a better team than the Giants and then the Eagles play on Monday night. That has yet to happen, but the Eagles are also a better team. So you're playing for the wild card. You're at home against a team like the Seattle Seahawks. Giants need to show up. Week four game, it's almost a must-win game, and I felt like we said the same thing in week two against the Arizona Cardinals. Not exactly the position you want to be in, but like you said, Ed, I think some people expected one and two. Absolutely. And I think you're right that week four is a must win game for the Giants. If they're going to be a serious playoff contender, you look at what Miami just did to Denver, 70 points, which is just just mind boggling. And Buffalo dropped 37 points on Washington. And, and that looked like nothing compared to what Miami did. But but those are two games that people will not expect the Giants to win. So this is one that they have to win. But before we get into a big, deep discussion about the Seattle game, I want to talk about, as I said earlier, I think I've written about the offensive and the defensive issues the Giants showed so far this season. And I think one thing to note about all of that is that I think None of it should probably be incredibly surprising with the exception of the tackling issue. And I think that it's been exacerbated to an extent by the teams that they've played, Dallas and San Francisco in particular. I don't think the issues are 
especially on the offensive side of the ball, maybe as bad as they might look after three weeks. And, you know, we'll, we'll go offense versus defense, but in general, you know, would you agree that a lot of it is just exacerbated by the quality of the teams they've played the first three weeks? I would say it's exacerbated for sure, but we're, we're not seeing a consistent explosive attack sans one half. And that's, that's right. an issue for me because San Francisco, right. I get that the giants were shorthanded. They just bracketed Darren Waller inside out. And the giants didn't really have an answer to, to, to find any other weapons once that was happening. And they had no running game. They attempted to run the football after half. They had two runs on that first drive after halftime against San Francisco. They went for a collective one yard. It was a two yard gain and then a minus one yard loss. They couldn't run the football. And then when they would go into max protect and they would run two man route concepts deep with, you know, Daniel Bellinger chipping and releasing into the flat, nobody was getting open. They weren't creating a lot of separation. And then you had the offensive line issue with the right. one time when Jalen Hyatt actually broke free off the concept, which was a double Y set to the, I think, field side or the boundary side. That means two tight ends on the same side. And then Darius Slayton, I call it the speed double Y package, Darius Slayton and Jalen Hyatt stacked on top of each other, meaning one's off the line of scrimmage, motioning to the stack, set hike. Jalen Hyatt broke away. Daniel Jones, I, I felt like on that concept, because it's a concept that the Giants employed against the Arizona Cardinals in week two in the second half. And they hit like two or three big plays off that same concept. They tried running it twice in this game from different formations. Jalen Hyatt was wide open on one of those concepts. I think Daniel Jones's first read off of that is to not throw the clear out, is to throw to Darius Slayton, who runs kind of an in-breaking route. And then it's not like a whip route, but it, Darius Slayton basically finds space to the outside underneath Jalen Hyatt's clear out. That was covered very well by the 49ers defender. And Jones didn't process. Jalen Hyatt is going to be open outside of the numbers because the defender over the top of him broke to the inside. They all took Darius Slayton. Hyatt was open. But if then, you remember, I, I think at that point, by the time you'd be looking for a second read, Jones was running for his life at that point, too, I think, it, if I remember the play. Yes. So Shane Lemieux got blown up on the play. And these are these are instances that we've seen throughout Daniel Jones's career where it's hard to knock him. Because there is not a lot of time. There is not a lot of margin for error because one offensive lineman got blown up by, I think it was Javon Kinlaw on that play. And he wouldn't have been able to necessarily step up into that throw. He would have had to see it and instinctually just throw the football. And he didn't. He tried to extend the play and he couldn't really step up into it once Hyatt was open. But could you say maybe with a little bit more anticipation, he could throw that football? Sure. It's a lot easier said than done. Me sitting here in this chair saying that rather than actually being in the pocket. But the Giants mm -hmm. got to find ways to hit plays like that. You have a bunch right. of anonymous 49ers players coming out just trashing Daniel Jones. I don't know what to read into that. I don't like the fact that it's anonymous. Who exactly knows what's going on with that specific situation? But I've watched a lot of this Giants offense, Ed. It's a lot of just quick hitting stuff. First read, if the first read's not there, vacate, come off of it. It's read one side of the field, put one defender in conflict, and then throw off of that defender's reaction. So if that defender takes the dig, you could throw the shallow. If that defender takes the shallow, you could throw the dig. And I think you just need a little bit more in today's NFL to consistently compete against teams like that. But the Giants, again, were outmatched, and the protection wasn't there. Well, the thing about Daniel Jones is – why would you sign Daniel Jones to the contract the Giants signed him to? And let's be real. That's not Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow yeah. kind of money. It's But if you didn't trust him to do more than that, 
why would you sign him? I think the Giants do trust him to do more than that or do expect him to do more than that. But it leads us back to a discussion about the offensive line. And let's be real. As you said, no Ben Bredesen the last two weeks, basically. No Andrew Thomas the last two weeks. And even against Dallas, that was not really Andrew Thomas because it was very early in that game when he got hurt and he played that game on one leg. The left side of the offensive line, I don't worry about. Andrew Thomas will be fine. Ben Bredesen is an adequate player. I think he'll be fine. John Michael Schmitz has been, he's been all right. It's the right side of that line that's a concern. I don't know if Evan Neal's going to take that step. And we can argue about a lot of things with Evan Neal. I think we all agree about one thing. I think that and you've you've mentioned it. I think I've talked about it. I think that we were a little bit fooled by Evan Neal in terms of how good of an athlete, how good of a mover, how good his feet may actually be coming out of Alabama. But the other question is, how much is he being impacted by the fact that Mark Lewinsky was horrific? week one against Dallas. How much is he being impacted by playing again with a guy next to him in Marcus McKethan, who had zero preseason experience last year, did not have any time with the team at all because of the torn ACL, played a few snaps in one preseason game, and is just trying to figure it out. He might be talented but the but the kid has really doesn't have an idea what he's doing at this point, especially in pass protection. And I'm not trying to make an excuse for Evan Neal, but I I think I think that has to be somewhat of a factor. It is somewhat of a factor, but there are issues that are independent of that factor. Mm-hmm. Like when it's just him and another player on the edge. He had to face Nick Bosa. There were there were times where the Giants would scheme three guys against Nick Bosa, and Nick Bosa would still pressure Daniel Jones. But with me, in terms of Evan Neal, concerning him, it, it's keeping his balance when he is just kick sliding and, and matching mm-hmm. and matching. A, this is simple football type of one hundred and one playing offensive tackle, and I, and I get that he had that issue at Alabama. We covered it, but we covered it at Big Blue View. But I didn't think it would be this, or I felt like it would be rectified to some degree through development. And now we are into his second season. And I think those issues that we saw on tape, which were minimal at Alabama at the collegiate level, SEC, they're maximized now and they're being exploited. And we haven't seen development. I felt, I feel like his, the way he attacks with his hands, there's no confidence in that. There's no balance in the kick slide. Once he's contacted, he gets tossed on the ground way too often. And I'm just not 100% 100% certain how you fix the these issues right now. I think if you put Quentin Nelson right next to him and they had a rapport, yes, certainly he would look better. I think the the Mark Lewinsky point is spot on, but I still have major, major, um, I guess, just issues and concerns about this kid's development so far. I like to try to put mm-hmm. it into context and say Andrew Thomas struggled throughout his rookie season. We started seeing him put things together in year two. We haven't seen that yet with Evan Neal. Maybe it will happen eventually, but... Yeah, no, I would be lying if I said I wasn't concerned about this. This is a top 10 pick, and you got to get more out of your top 10 picks, and that includes with another guy on the defensive side of the football. Absolutely. We'll get into the defensive side in a little bit, but 
I, you're spot on too with, with Evan Neal because what we saw hasn't gotten better and you would think that it should get better. I mean, the guy had quality coaching at Alabama. He's got NFL-level coaching. He spent the offseason working with Willie Anderson and with Duke Manyweather, quality offensive line coaches. And, and it's concerning that you see the same sort of lunging and balance and footwork issues. You wonder if eventually the Giants have to move him to guard. And I don't think they want to. No. And I don't. And I have not recommended it. I have been one of those people who sa- who have said, you just have to let it play out and see what happens because there really isn't another great option on the offensive line. As you said, Josh Azudu played left tackle for a couple of weeks, played some right tackle at North Carolina, could be an option at right tackle if they really want to go that way. They obviously think that Josh Zudu is a better tackle than their actual swing tackle in Matt Pert, which is an issue, which is an issue in itself. If that's the case, then why is Matt Pert on the roster? <laughs> but so, so what do you do at right tackle if the answer is not Evan Neal? But the other question, Nick, the other question is they've had a revolving door at guard after the Bredesen injury. We've seen that, you know, Matt Lem- or not, not Matt, Shane Lemieux, one game each of the last two years, probably only going to be one game and done <laughs> this year because it's the same old issue with, with Shane Lemieux. He just can't anchor in pass pro, in pass protection. I think Mark Glowinski they've moved on from. Can you continue to, to let Marcus McKethan sort of, sort of um, just get his NFL feet wet? What do you do at right guard? At this point, I mean, do you sign Justin Pugh? What do you do? I think you sign Justin Pugh, and I think you you and Tony Delgenio brought this up. Just put him on the practice squad, get a veteran presence there, see if he can get up to speed in three weeks, and if you can use him eventually, I'm 100% fine with that. Anything at this point to just try to fix the offensive line. As of right now, I'm hoping that Andrew Thomas plays on Monday night, which will kick Josh Azudu possibly inside. I don't like moving a young player like Josh Azudu all around, but he might be the Giants' best option. And then we know that the New York Giants throughout training camp cross-trained a lot of these offensive linemen at a bunch of different positions. So they know best. Bobby Johnson should know if he's up to snuff the play on the right side. That would be my first option. Definitely not Shane Lemieux. I'm okay with trotting Marcus McKethan out there again and uh, seeing if he can... If he can, uh, if he could play one of the guard spots, I, I'm. I don't think he played well against the uh, San Francisco 49ers. But Eric Armstead and Javon Hargrave are very good football players. And I'm not saying Seattle doesn't have a really stout defensive line. They they seem like they have a good defense, coached by Pete Carroll. But what other remedies do you have? And I have something I wanted right. to posit, Ed. And I mm-hmm. brought it up on a uh, on the Evan Neal piece I wrote. I think two weeks ago after the Cowboys loss. And I don't like saying this. But are we certain that he is as good of a functional athlete as maybe he was built up as a prospect? Because well, this, this is, some, yeah, somebody no, this, who, sorry, go uh, ahead. This is, no, go ahead. Somebody who didn't test at the combine and he didn't test at his pro day. And we all were just like, ah, oh, whatever. Cause we saw him do like a split squat jump. That was crazy. And we saw him look the way he looked at 360, how sleek and lean he looked. 
But yeah, you can do split squat jumps, but can you function when another 300 pounder is running into your outside shoulder with that type of force? Can you keep your balance? Can you keep your ass down? And I'm just not, I'm just not sold. I just haven't seen it yet. Like consistently, obviously well, he has, you know what I mean? So like, it's something I just absolutely. wanted to put out there. No, we've talked about it. Tony and I have talked about it. I think, you know, you've talked about it. I've written about it some, I think. And the reality of it is when you think about it, you're hundred percent right. Evan Neal did not test at the combine. He just did a, a, a crazy box jump video and put that out there. And we know how strong he is. We know what he's a massive, you know, six foot seven, probably now 340, 45 pound human being who's incredibly strong. But you wonder in retrospect, you wonder if he did not test for the simple reason that his reps knew that if he did test, his draft stock would fall, that his numbers wouldn't be what people expected in terms of his movement skills and his draft stock would fall because he's not the athlete that we thought he was. He's not what he's, what he's not is people use the term dancing bear. And he is definitely not that it's not, he doesn't have easy, smooth movement skills. And you just wonder how much of that he can make up for. He's got to maximize that length. That would be one thing because he's getting beat around the edge way too much. And I just, it's similar to the Andrew Thomas problem from 2020, where he was overcompensating and then allowing inside pass rushing moves. He figured it out, figured out a way to frame his blocks a little better. Let's hope Evan Neal does. But as of right now, it's, it's not great. There's a big difference that I've mentioned before between Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal. I think Andrew Thomas's problems as a rookie had a lot less to do with Andrew Thomas and a lot more to do with the situation on the Giants coaching staff. Let's remember yep. that this was the Joe Judge era. This was the Jason Garrett era of calling plays on offense. Mark Colombo was the initial offensive line coach. There was a huge issue between Joe Judge and Mark Colombo in how offensive linemen were taught. There was a lot of infighting between the coaching staff in terms of what technique are we supposed to use? What are we expecting from these guys? You know, how are they supposed to set? What are we asking them to do? And you can't put a rookie in that bind. All right. You're, you're not giving him a consistent message. And then. You know, Joe Judge and Mark Colombo get into a huge blowout midseason. And they hired Dave DeGuglielmo as the offensive line coach. The first time we talked to Googs, one of the first things he said was, I hate rookies. They should be over there in the corner. I have no use for them. Well, why did they hire Dave DeGuglielmo to coach the offensive line when they had drafted three rookies that year? And they had Thomas, Lemieux, and Matt Peart starting on that offensive line. So I think in the end, Andrew Thomas's problems weren't about Andrew Thomas. They were about the situation on the coaching staff. As much as you want to believe in Evan, in Evan Neal, I think we're seeing more and more evidence that Evan Neal's problems 
are about Evan Neal's movement skills. I think that's an excellent point, Ed. Movement skills, balance, and I think it's all just affecting the processing of when to strike. His strike timing and everything in college was pristine. It was precise. He was deliberate. He dictated reps. He's not dictating any reps right now. It's all the the defense, and he's just trying to basically get into the defender's way long enough to allow Daniel Jones to either evade or find a, a quick outlet. And as I said previously, it's something that has to be changed, and hopefully he'll figure it out. All right, Nick, the only other thing I wanted to talk about on offense is some of the usage of some of the personnel. This is a tremendous coaching staff that the Giants have. Brian Dable won Coach of the Year. All right, Mike Kafka got four interviews, got talked about for for another interview, got talked about as a possibility at Northwestern. He's a guy that people fully expect to get a chance to run his own team, whether that's in the NFL or in college someday. But I'm sorry. I don't buy Brian Dayball saying the other day when he was asked in particular about Jalen Hyatt, well, we had stuff in the playbook. We had stuff in the game plan for him. We just didn't have enough plays to get to it. And, and to me, to me, that's nonsense. To me, you know, second half in Arizona, they came out and they made sure they got the ball to Jalen Hyatt. They made sure they attacked down the field. You have to be able to get the ball. You have to at least try to get the ball to your best playmakers, even if it's on a wide receiver screen. I'm just looking at the fact that they haven't leaned into the running game when Saquon Barkley was healthy the way that I thought they would, especially against Arizona. The sort of odd usage of Paris Campbell, who I think is averaging 2.9 yards per reception. This is a guy with 4.3 with 4.31 speed, Nick, and he's averaging 2.9 yards a catch. And, and the fact that that Jalen Hyatt barely got on the field against the 49ers. I'm looking at some of the the personnel, and I'm just wondering why. You know what's going on there? It's it's been surprising to me. Not to mention the fact that that can we get the right number of players on the field? Can we yeah. get the right? Can we get the substitutions in the game for crying out loud? You know, I'm just curious. What, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on on some of that. I would like to see Jalen Hyatt's role expanded. In terms of, I'll get back to Jalen Hyatt in a second. But in regards to Paris Campbell. He's just the out guy. Like most of his routes that he's ran have just been quick out routes, basically to take advantage of either cover three to the flat or off of a clear out from a quarter's cover four look, gets outside leverage, get the football in his hands. Now make a man miss. The problem with Paris Campbell so far, and I agree, I think he should have a more expanded route tree, is he's just not making that man miss. And he's not getting out of bounds in the at the end of the yeah. first which was wildly right. Fun. My, my thing with Paris Campbell is if you're going to put a wide receiver in that role, that, that role has to go to Wandale Robinson. That to me, that to me, that catch the quick throw, make a guy miss, come out of the backfield. That's what Wandale, that's Wandale Robinson's role as he builds up his, his play time. But in, not in the defense of the Giants offensive play calling, because I don't think I need to defend them necessarily. And I don't want to, 
But the 49ers are just tracking on what the Giants were doing. The Dallas Cowboys were tracking on what the Giants were doing, similar to how the Philadelphia Eagles were tracking on what the Giants did last year. Everything is quick. So when Paris Campbell would get to the out, there was basically somebody driving down in his hip pocket. Everybody is playing top down against the New York Giants, except for the Cardinals, which it bit them in the rear end because of the deep play to to Jalen Hyatt. Remember with the Cardinals, if you watch the first half, there were a bunch of Darren Waller over routes, a bunch of Darren Waller over routes, and the Cardinals were aggressively coming down and hitting Darren Waller every time Daniel Jones targeted him. Well, they identified that and they were like, outside leverage cornerback against Jalen Hyatt. Cool. We're going to run a deep post. And guess what happened? 58 yards. But against San Francisco, they were just bracketing Darren Waller with an outside, basically nickel or an apex. And then Fred Warner, who's one of the best quickest linebackers and best coverage linebackers in the league. So those safeties were staying deep. So there really wasn't a lot of room to uh, for, for success on these deep passes because the 49ers were just passing routes off so magnificently. Like I said, the only play that really Jones quote unquote missed, if you want to say that was the one with Hyatt. But again, he didn't really have time to step up into the pocket. It would have had to have been a bang, bang type of decision from Daniel Jones. So the 49ers were just excellent with how they were passing their routes off and they were focusing on Waller. And I think the, a lot of the game plan was to get the football to Waller, but Jones couldn't. And once he came off a second read, he was pressured and just basically dumping the football off the Paris Campbell who couldn't make one man miss because the 49ers were anticipating the Giants not being able to create explosive plays, which a lot of their, which a lot of their defensive players alluded to after the game. They have to find ways to throw the football down the field a little bit. I think running the football would soften it up a little bit, but they didn't do that at all in this game because they didn't have Saquon Barkley. And when they tried to, it didn't necessarily go well. And they were also playing a different front team. Giants are a, are a counter running team. They love to run counter against teams that employ odd fronts, tight fronts, where there's a nose and there's two fours. There's two, there's like basically three defenders within the tackle box, defensive linemen. But the 49ers are more of an even front team where you have two five techniques, Nick Bosa and Kerry Hyder or Drake Jackson, whoever it is. So their rushing attack counter doesn't work as well against that. So they employed wham double trap, something that we saw a lot last year. That's the Matt Breida touchdown run. They also ran it another time where they basically allow the defensive lineman to get up field ed and Darren Waller, or I mean, and Daniel Bellinger comes and he, he whams somebody. And then there's two other defenders who get trapped by guards. And now you have the center and the other guard up at the second level to block. That's how the Giants were running the football, but they only did it a couple times. And they had the nine yard touchdown rush, rush against Brita, but all in all, it was, uh, it was not great on the ground. And they weren't really getting a lot of push whenever they tried to do a different running scheme. And once they showed it on tape, the 49ers were playing it pretty well by shooting aggressively. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more 
and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Nick, let's turn to the defense at this point. And we know what the defensive issues have been. The defensive issues have been poor tackling, lack of ability to get off the field on third down, not enough pass rush, no turnovers created. We've talked a lot about Kayvon Thibodeau and his inability to this point to be an impact sort of game-changing player. Let me let me start with the tackling. What do you see and how do you fix it? I always look at tackling in the NFL and I say, it is what it is basically because you can't practice it. You really can't go out there. And I always look at it and I say, either guys can or they can't. So I don't know. I don't know how you fix it other than guys just, you know, getting it in their head that they need to be more physical, you know, at, at the, you know, at the point of, of contact. But what do you see with the tackling the last couple of games? I think it comes down to physicality. Uh, Debo Samuel and George Kittle, and I hate to say this because I don't want to call the Giants out for not being physical, but Debo Samuel and George Kittle took it to the defense. That and also just breaking down, coming to balance, and and going low. Don't try to tackle George Kittle high if you're a defensive back. That's not going to work out for you. Go low at the hips, at the legs, and then just hang on and, and hope that some of your teammates rally and tackle if you're not the biggest guy like people like Trey Hawkins he missed I think like two or three tackles in that game and he had the one egregious one against Elijah Mitchell I saw people as well saying it was a business decision that's bullcrap no one wants mm-hmm. to hit people more than Trey Hawkins the third like go through his old right. dominion tape the kid is a, a hitter but he just didn't come to balance and he has to trust his technique a little bit better in terms of staying square to target and going at the right time and not getting baited into a little move, but you're going up against Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is one of the best running backs in the league. Like Michael McFadden had a fantastic game, Ed. He also had like three missed tackles. Right. A lot of those were in the hole as well. Right. So like that needs to get yeah. cleaned up. And I, I just think the, the giants need to just need to really be a, more accurate with their tackling aiming points. I think it's that simple and they need to latch on and not throw arm tackles. I think, and I, you, they kind of miss Julian Love a little bit. Julian Love never really missed tackles all that much. Jason Pinnock right now has six missed tackles on the season. I think that's another thing that that um maybe we're not talking a lot about. No, I love Pinnock, but Pinnock missed, I think, 13% of his tackles last year, and he's right at that level again this year. And that's that's not an acceptable level of, of missed tackles, especially for a, a safety like that. But one of the things I wanted to mention – I used the word, I think maybe in the kudos and wet willies, I used the word that the 49ers bullied the Giants. And it bothered me that they bullied the Giants. I know how physical George Kittle is. George Kittle made a great play on San Francisco's first drive. Brock Purdy throws a ball right to Adoree Jackson. And Adoree Jackson takes what I thought was kind of a casual route to it, thinking he had an easy pick. If you really watch that route, he he actually backed up a little bit, and George Kittle made a great play to bat that thing away. But what you watched over and over were stiff arms. You watched Debo Samuel run through people. You watched Debo Samuel flip Bobby O'Karake 
on his head, basically. You watched Trent Williams punch a Sean Robinson in the helmet, which he should have gotten ejected for. You watched an offensive lineman for San Francisco drag DJ Davidson to the ground. Incredibly dirty play in my mind, right in front of Kayvon Thibodeau, and and nothing happened. There were just too many instances where I watched where whether it was chippy, whether it was necessary, whatever it was, whether it was the missed tackles, I thought that San Francisco bullied the Giants, and and that bothered me more than any individual missed tackle or or missed call or, or any of that. That that bugged me quite a bit. The Trent Williams punch might have been the least disrespectful thing if you watched how he was blocking the Giants the entire game, which is saying a lot. The Giants upgraded their defensive front. Trent Williams, I get it. He's one of the <clears> best offensive linemen, one of the best offensive tackles of this era. He was throwing Aaron or uh, Ashawn Robinson and Raheem Nunez Rochez aside. And the way that like Kyle Shanahan is a mad genius of a schemer and the way they use those wide receivers and those H backs to basically lead block and kick out the end man on the line. It, it just brings so much force and power to that rushing attack. And the giants just weren't physical enough to match it. Not even a player like Jihad Ward, who is arguably one of their more physical edge rushers and the way that Shanahan crafted his play action passing attack to look just like his rushing attack. He was bringing, he basically ran like play action counter where the Giants linebackers bit up and those digs were just open behind Micah McFadden and Bobby O'Carrick because the Giants are so scared when they have to go up and fit counter runs because they're so bad at it. Wink Martindale had Bobby O'Carrick just shooting down to just basically clog and spill everything. But there was no, it, it was for not because a lot of those ended up being play action once the Giants put it on film that that's how they were going to play that. And Shanahan is just too good of a coach. So you could say from an X's and O's standpoint, Shanahan got the best of Wink Martindale. But again, I love what Wink Martindale did. We can get into that philosophy, but that's how you at, at least attempt to defeat Kyle Shanahan and a team that is much better than you blitz on 86% of Brock <laughs> try to dictate to them. And Hey, they ended up getting two sacks off of uh, those blitzes. And, you know, they were both five man pressures that they got the sacks on, but it, yeah, man, it, it's, uh, it's again, another instance of a getting bullied and B just being overmatched. Mm -hmm. So let's, uh, before we wrap up, Nick, let's talk about cave on. All right. I wrote about cave on a few days ago. I sat with your good friend, Dan Hatman of the Scouting Academy, sat with Dan, and we watched film. We watched the first two games of, of Thibodeau, and Dan was kind of shaking his head because he's talking about not using his hands properly, sometimes using them, sometimes not using them always going to the midline of the tackle instead of really trying to make a move sometimes, oftentimes getting an advantage and then not knowing what to do with it, not being able to, not being able to, to string a second move that would get him around the corner or get him through to the inside. And on a couple of times, not having a clue what his path to the quarterback should have been. And, and you know, Dan was, was mystified by some of that because they're the same problems that he had at Oregon. And the question becomes, why is he not getting better? 
I'm not 100% certain why he's not getting better. And I can't speak to, to Kayvon Thibodeau's mindset. I know he's being used a lot in coverage, maybe more than he would like. And I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but this is a pass rusher. The Giants drafted him to be a pass rusher. I also think they wanted him to be a Sam. And when you're a Sam linebacker, you're going to be used in coverage. You're going to be used in a variety of roles, similar to how Tyus Bowser was used in Wink Martindale's defense with the Baltimore Ravens. But I see the same exact thing. He's just not getting that second move. But it also seems like Kayvon Thibodeau is a hesitant. I think that's probably the best word. And that really cropped up to me in week two. There were at least two plays where Kayvon Thibodeau just stopped his rush or stuttered. The one that ended up being a, a long rush for the Cardinals where the Giants blitzed Jason Pinnock on the same side of Kayvon Thibodeau. And Kayvon Thibodeau, with Pinnock being the forced defender on that blitz side, he could have had a free run at Josh Dobbs, or I mean, at the mesh point, at James Conner in the mesh point, but he just stopped himself. And I don't know why, because if he thought Josh Dobbs was going to keep the football, you had Jason Pinnock to your left to account for him. So little plays like that have kind of made me question, like, what's going on? Is there too much on his plate at the moment with dropping in the coverage and all that? Do, do, does Wink Martindale need to simplify things for Kayvon Thibodeau a little bit? I'm not saying that for certain. But it does seem like there are plays throughout his film throughout the last two weeks, including this one, where he's just hesitant and a little bit indecisive. And, you know, football, man, everything is bang, bang. If you're not on top of your P's and Q's, then you could, you know, allow a big play or you can maybe not maximize the potential of a certain play. And I think I've seen that on a few different occasions with Kayvon Thibodeau this year. Absolutely. I think what it comes down to is I think that we can't compare him to a guy like Aiden Hutchinson. We can't compare him to certain other players because he's being used to drop. He's not getting because of the way the Giants have have played so far. He's not getting the number of pass rush opportunities that some guys are. I do think I tracked it the other day. He's on pace to drop into coverage twice as much as he did as a rookie. He's on pace to drop into coverage more than 120 times. Mm-hmm. And and that's too much. You drafted this guy to be a dominant front seven player. And if he's going to be that, in my view, he has got to go forward. But as you talked about being hesitant, that is something Wink Martindale talked about with Kayvon last year, especially the first half of last year is that there were opportunities for him to make plays and he just, and he wasn't taking advantage of them. And I think it's the same thing we're seeing now. Um, when I, when I watched film with Dan, he pointed out on the pass rush opportunities and even on some of the run stop opportunities that he did get, he pointed out play after play where his initial move, whether it was power or speed, and most of the time it's power. Most of the time it's it's push that offensive tackle back. But time after time where he got an advantage, where he would get the offensive tackle's feet off the ground and give it back by not having a second move to finish it off. So it's there. It's just frustrating that, that it's that it's not coming out. Yeah, that's one thing that we need to see. If if the Giants even make the playoffs this year, moving forward for the health of this team, you need to see improvement from Evan Neal and you need to see improvement from Kayvon Thibodeau. And through three games, I get it. It's not a huge sample size. I don't think we've seen improvement from either player. No, and it becomes concerning because 
Joe Shane got a lot of props for being able to get those two guys. All right. But the reality of it was Thibodeau was always a bit of a risk. And I still think Thibodeau was plan B. All right. I still think that given, given their druthers, what they really would have loved to have come out of that draft with was Sauce Gardner. I still believe that Wink Martindale's defense needs a shutdown number one corner. I think that's one of the reasons why they were so happy to get Tay Banks this this time around. Tay Banks is not Sauce Gardner, but I think given you know given their preference, they would have taken Sauce Gardner last year. But you know, Kayvon Thibodeau was was what they what they chose to go with at that point. Um, I also think it was interesting that when Joe was asked after the draft about why they drafted Neil, he said because Icky was gone, <laughs> which means which means Thibodeau was their second choice at that spot as well. Yeah, Neil. Yeah, and it yeah, and and it's just interesting because. I love the work that Joe Shane has done. I love a lot of the things he's done. He's got this organization in a lot of ways pointed in the right direction, but you don't get the chance to draft fifth and seventh in the same draft very often. And you've got to get it right. You've got to get it right. And, And right now it's fair to wonder if when it's all said and done, if the Giants will have gotten it right. I think it's fair to wonder that. I still think it's premature. I'm sure you would agree with mm-hmm. that as yeah. well. But uh, as of right now, we're just looking for drive-in, drive-out improvement from both of those mm-hmm. players. I think it's imperative for the health of this roster moving forward with the investments that the Giants have recently made. Absolutely. All right, Nick, thank you very, very much for the time. Folks, please check out the Chris and Nick show on Big Blue View Radio. Those guys do some great work. And uh, check out all of our content at Big Blue View as we get you guys ready for Giants and Seahawks this coming Monday night. So thank you for listening. Please stay safe out there. Take care of each other. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.